want to talk for a minute about some things that happen so gradually that we might miss it. So I'm going to give you an example, and as we do, invite you to shout out or to chat, uh, to unmute. It sounds like we can, we can hear some people. Um, but I'll give you one example of what are some things that happen so gradually we might miss it. Trees growing. That the trees grow, but you can't sit there and watch it happen. Some faster than others, but we can't see it. There are some things that grow gradually or happen gradually. What are some other things that happen so gradually we might not see it? Kids growing. We actually had a conversation at the door today. Somebody said, your kids have grown. And the, and the mom said, huh, really? <laughs> I can't see that, right? You have to step away a bit to see it happen. Yeah. Change in weather. Yeah, sometimes, especially change in season. Uh, we believe that spring is coming, uh, but it can happen so slowly sometimes. Yeah. Frog boiling. Ah, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that something happens so slowly that, that we don't realize it's taking place. Gardens producing. Yeah, good word that we can't have it just burst in front of us. It takes time. Yeah, and a key thing, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Snow accumulating. Yeah, we see it coming, a seed beginning to grow. Yeah, excellent. And in all these things, they happen so slowly that we might not notice is happening. Okay, so now I want to think a different direction. What are some things that happen so suddenly we can't react to them. And so I'll give you an example, a car crash, right? A car crash can happen so quickly that we think, oh, well, you know, I'm drinking a drink right now, but if ever it became urgent, I could set it down in the cup holder. And we can't prepare for things like this. When it happens, it's so fast. Are there other things that they happen so fast that we might not be able to react in time? A lightning strike. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so words of anger, things that come out. Jesus says the overflow of our heart, and we can't stop it fast enough. The undo is not there. A disaster. Yeah, yeah. A ball being thrown at you. Yeah. Yeah, when it, we turn, and there it is. A global pandemic. Yeah, it's, it, it just it surprised us in ways we had no idea. No idea. Lightning. What was that? Earthquake. Ah, hurricane, earthquake, volcano, yeah. And we try to predict some of these things and some of them better than others. Um, but yeah, we, we don't have the chance to react in the moment. Uh, medical condition, yeah, sometimes that is just, all of a sudden it is there and we have no idea it was coming. And these are things that once it starts happening, we can't do anything about it. It's too late. Today, we're going to talk about this idea that sometimes God's work is gradual. Sometimes his work seems so slow that we're not sure we can see anything happening. So the question is, might we be missing it? And sometimes God's work is sudden and we're not ready for it. And, and so today, uh, as we look at this, I want to pray that, that God would help us see his work and help us join in it, whether it is gradual or sudden. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for 
the privilege it is to have the words of Jesus. Thank you, uh, Jesus, for your wisdom and for speaking. And we are so thankful for the people like Luke who recorded these words for us so that we, so many years later, and in such a different place and time, can hear them. And so we ask today that you would teach us. Holy Spirit, do your work in our hearts. And I pray that, that you would speak directly with us, that we would each be aware of your voice and that you do your work in our hearts. And I pray that you would help us to be aware of your gradual work and that you would help us to be ready for your sudden work. Through Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, we pray. Amen. So the title today is Gradually and Suddenly. We'll talk about these drawings in a little bit. We're uh, continuing in Luke chapter 17. encourage you to have that text in front of you. Uh, whether uh, on a device or paper, uh, I'll have it up on the screen, and, and there is a link to the handouts. Uh, the same link every week, but we update that so that you can get to it. Uh, to borrow a title from uh, the scientist Stephen Hawking, I want to give a brief history of time. Uh, here's my brief history of time. Uh, three seasons of time, creation, fall, and redemption. In creation, God made a very good world. He created a world and said, this is really good. And it was. It was orderly. It was life-giving. The fall is the transition from this very good world to what might be called the kingdom of this world. A time when humanity said, the first humans, Adam and Eve said, we kind of think we could run it better than God. And so they stepped away from this this design of God into their own design. And they created the separation from God. And because God is life, they were then part of a dying world. And that's what they've handed down to us. And yet the great hope is redemption. And here, instead of the kingdom of this world, we might think of the kingdom of God. This is a perfect and more glorious world that God is making. And so we have this redemption, this, this, this rescue that God is doing. And I want to think of it in three parts. The first is the promise and the preparation. The second is the gradually part. And the third is the suddenly part. The, the, the promise and preparation, we often think of this and call this the Old Testament, the early part of the Bible that is leading up to this point when God's kingdom would appear and, and would grow. And so it's a foretaste. It's, it's telling ahead what will come. And then the gradually part begins with Jesus. Jesus, who was obscure, he was overlooked, he was ordinary. And he was one who went through suffering and death. He started a work, yet it was a gradual work. And that gradual work continues in the church, which is Jesus' body which is so often small and ordinary and it experiences trouble. And so Jesus gave two great metaphors of this gradually part. And we talked about one of them a minute ago. And that is he talked about the mustard seed and he talked about yeast in the dough. The mustard seed, you plant it, you bury it, and then slowly things happen. It doesn't just all of a sudden burst forth. It takes time and it seems small and insignificant. And yeast, you bury it in the dough. You can't even find it anymore. He said, that's what this gradual part is like. 
But then there's the sudden part, the suddenly, and this is the son of man's return when Jesus will come back, that, that he departed from this earth and he will come back. And suddenly, suddenly, life with God will come in unhindered beauty and flourishing for judgment. He said, there's a lot that's gradual for a long time. We don't know how long, but he says the day will come when it's going to be suddenly just like God designs. No hesitation, no resistance can stand against this sudden return. This is a radical displacement by Jesus' kingdom. He created a good world. It became a kingdom of this world in rebellion against him and this journey of this redemption that one day will be completed suddenly. And this is what we look at today as Jesus taught. So we're in Luke 17, starting at verse 20. Let me just read a couple of these verses. So Luke 17, verse 20. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So stop there for a second. Once when Jesus being asked by the Pharisees, and one thing that we know about the Pharisees is that they were not in agreement with Jesus. They fought against him. They resisted him. And so when somebody who is your opponent comes up and asks you a question, you obviously think, what is it they're trying to do? (laughs) It's probably not merely a request for information. So when they said, when is this kingdom going to come? I think it was perhaps an accusation. Just you're claiming, it seems people are talking about you maybe as the Messiah. Yet when the Messiah comes, the kingdom of God is supposed to show up. It should all be different. It should suddenly be what God intends. And they said, so Jesus, where is this? You keep talking about it, but it never happens. And and Jesus says, well, you know what? It's not the kind of thing that's going to happen suddenly at this point. It's not the kind of thing that's like, oh, out in the desert, there's the place where it's perfectly the kingdom of God. Because he says the kingdom of God is actually already in your midst because I'm here. Right? This, this section is the gradually part. Like Jesus said, the kingdom comes like a mustard seed that you bury in the ground, like yeast that's hidden in the dough that Jesus had taught earlier. When the Pharisees said, when will this kingdom come? Jesus said, well, it's actually already beginning. It's in your midst. It's among you. And so Jesus says here, I think the kingdom, God's kingdom is already present and growing, and yet it is so easily overlooked, just like Jesus was overlooked. And you think, here Jesus is, the creator of the universe, steps into humanity, and he's born as an ordinary infant. A miraculous start, but when he's born, he's just like anybody else. He grew up as an ordinary boy. He does a few exceptional things like these debates in the temple, but he was an ordinary boy. He, he was in an ordinary family. He, he came from an ordinary town. He was surprisingly ordinary. And yet then died a horrible death that wasn't ordinary. It was actually really bad. And you say, this isn't at all what we would expect when God sends his son into the world. Jesus was overlooked. And I think Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, you're overlooking what's already here. And the reality is we also can overlook the kingdom of God. 
Amid the joys and the challenges of life, I think the message to us today is sometimes we don't even see it because it's growing gradually, because it's blending in and we don't even notice it. Actually, I think there's a group of us that find this especially challenging to see the kingdom of God. And, And I think this is a temptation that's especially true for those who have so much to enjoy in life. It's not even to be looking for the kingdom of God. I told the the music team this morning, um, several years ago, I was in Romania meeting with a group of pastors, and we were talking about what songs churches sing. And one of the Romanian pastors said, so who sings about the second coming of Jesus? Well, probably not the people who are living wealthy, peaceful, healthy lives, (laughs) The people who spend more time singing about the second coming of Jesus are the people who are suffering, who are in trouble, right? They say, God, where are you? And oh, for the day when you will come and make all things right. Overlooking the kingdom of God in its gradual form is especially a challenge for those who do have so much to be thankful for. And yet sometimes that can blind us. And these religious leaders weren't seeing it. But then Jesus talked to a different group. Then he said to his disciples, right? So the first part, he answered the Pharisees. They say, when is it coming? And he said, well, you know what? In some sense, it's already here and you're overlooking it. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. He said to his disciples, there will be a day when the Son of Man comes. And then, as you said earlier, it'll be like the lightning. Uh, The lightning that spreads across the sky and you can't miss it. Jesus says, there is a way in which my kingdom will come suddenly. But first, he said, it'll be challenging. But first, he says, the Son of Man will suffer and be rejected. And he says, you're going to long for the day when the Son of Man comes, but it's going to take a while. But when it comes, it will come and it'll be unmistakable. The Son of Man will come suddenly and boldly. When it happens, you can't miss it. It will be so dramatic, nobody can deny that it was here. For then, he said, there will be trouble. The Son of Man will suffer, he says, and be rejected. And he implies that these disciples too. In different ways, at different times, disciples will suffer longing for the day when Jesus will come. And he says, you'll long for it. And when it's not time, you won't see it. And during this time, he says, don't be deceived, right? You, you don't have to go to some special place. There's not some retreat center where God is especially present and you go there and you experience it. There's not some place in the world. There's not some special teacher who can say, here's where God has arrived. Don't be deceived by that. And I think this is a temptation that is especially for those who have much trouble in life. So there's got to be a way in which God is at work in the world. And the temptation is to say, there's some special teaching, there's some special person through whom these things can be solved. 
He says, when the kingdom of God comes in the Son of Man, it will be unmistakable. So Jesus then goes on and, and refers to these two Old Testament stories. He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus is going to be like the days of Noah. And here's my really simple description of the days of Noah. The people were really evil. And we're told that every inclination of their hearts was evil all the time. And so God said, I'm going to wipe people off of the face of the earth. But God called Noah. He went to Noah to be rescued. He said, Noah, make an ark, make a boat. And Noah did it. And then we're told, while he was making that boat, Noah told the people to turn to God. The description from from, uh, 2 Peter is that he was a preacher of righteousness. We don't know exactly how long it took Noah to build build this ark, but it seems that it may have been something like 50 years or 75 years. It was a long time. And Noah told people, they come and say, Noah, what's with the boat? And he'd say, you ought to pay attention because God is going to bring judgment. This is going to change. And you ought to be prepared. And then, in the days of Noah, the day came. The day came when when the door was shut and they were judged. God shut them into the ark and then all these creatures, everything that lived on land except for those in the boat, he says, died. The days were evil. God called Noah to, to be rescued. Noah told people, be rescued. And then the day came and it was too late. Jesus says, just as it was in the days of Noah, this is what it's going to be like when the Son of Man returns. One thing I find fascinating, their problem. What did Jesus talk about? What did he say was their problem? Well, he didn't talk about being evil. He didn't say in their thoughts were always evil all the time. He said they were drinking and eating and marrying and giving in marriage. These are good things. These are things God says to do. It seems that what Jesus is saying is they focused on good pleasures and good relationships instead of hearing God's warning to prepare for the radical change that was coming. God said, there is judgment coming. Will you prepare? And he says they didn't. So he goes on to tell the story of Lot. And the same, uh, it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. The days of Lot. Again, very simple picture. The people were evil. The Lord said the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous. And in this, God called Lot to be rescued. He sent angels to Lot and said, get out of here and call people to go with you because God's going to destroy this place. And so Lot told the people to be rescued. He went went to his relatives and said, hurry, get out of this place. Destruction is coming. And they thought he was joking. I've often wondered what was that scene like. But he says, no, I'm serious. And they said, oh, this is a funny one, Lot. That's really, that's an interesting story you're telling us, right? And he says, no, for real. And then destruction came, suddenly, including Lot's wife, when it says the Lord brought down sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. 
Jesus said, it's going to be just like those days, the days of Lot. And again, what did he say about them? He didn't speak about their evil. The Old Testament tells us they were evil. God says, I hear, I see. That needs to be judged. But Jesus didn't talk about that. He talked about eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. These are good things. Jesus said that they focused on good pleasures and good productivity instead of hearing God's warning to prepare for the radical change that was coming. So Jesus is telling his disciples, he says, final judgment is going to come, and it's going to come suddenly. And again, Jesus wasn't talking about people being evil in this case. He just says, judgment's coming and people should have known better. And so Jesus was warning his disciples about their focus on the normal and good things of life instead of hearing God's warning about the radical change that would come suddenly, about the judgment that was going to come. So the rest of the passage, Luke 17, verse 30, Jesus says, it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is in the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Not the happy words we imagined Jesus saying when he taught. He said there's going to be a day when the Son of Man is revealed. And he says, it will be so urgent at that time. There's, there's no going back. There's no saying, oh, but wait, 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 wait. I, I meant to prepare. He says it'll be too late. That just like Lot's wife, he says, you can't then be caught between a commitment to that world and to what he is doing. And Jesus makes this very stark statement. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. He says you can't have both the kingdom that is getting removed and destroyed and the kingdom of God that is coming. You can't have both. Jesus says that the choice we all make is which kingdom is going to be our focus. Either the, the looking back, the kingdom of the world, like Lot's wife, saying, well, that's where my real valuables are. We're looking forward to the kingdom of God. Jesus' teaching is that either we have a life that is focused on the existing world, or it's focused on the coming kingdom of God. And we live in some sense between these two, where we still have the, the freedom to choose one or the other this description for people in, in the book of Hebrews says, if they'd been thinking of the country they had left, kingdom of the world, they still could have gone back. And Jesus said that's what some people were doing, is that their focus is on the kingdom that was being removed, the kingdom that was getting displaced. They say, no, we'd actually like to go back there, like Lot's wife did. Or, he says, you can be focused on the kingdom to come. We all have a choice to make. Which kingdom is our focus? And only the kingdom of God will continue and thrive. Because in that day, 
there will be no ruler except God. In that day, there will no longer be any effective opposition to God. Today, there is. In that day, there will not. And Jesus says, what we have chosen will be final on that day. He says, then it'll be done. Where you stand on that day is the deciding point. Very sobering words from Jesus. These are the words of the Son of God. And we take them seriously. Even though they can go so against what our society would like to say or understand. When the Pharisees came and said, tell us when this kingdom is going to come as a challenge. He says, well, it's already started. Because I'm here as the Son of God. But it was gradual. He says, it will come though, suddenly and boldly. And it will come with a final judgment that comes suddenly. And the choice we have to make is which kingdom do we choose? From this, the big idea that Christ's kingdom is already here. It's growing gradually. So often it's hidden in ordinariness and in trouble. And yet one day it will come suddenly, completely and irresistibly with judgment or blessing forever. Jesus said the redeeming work of God is both gradual and sudden. And we live in the gradual days. And sometimes it's like, where is it really? It's hard to see. He says it's growing. It's gradual. It's like mustard seed. It's like yeast that you can't always see. But it's going to come suddenly. And it will come with judgment or blessing forever. So uh, the first drawing from Karen. Karen. I don't know if you can see the invitation down below. Come watch the trees grow. And it's hard to see trees grow, but they sure do make for good hammocks, right? When things grow gradually, we can easily stop paying attention. Watch it grow, but I can't see anything. And you watch for a while, and I don't see anything. It's easy to stop paying attention when things grow slowly especially when we have other things that are pleasure and peace and power and other advantages. We say, we're kind of occupied in other stuff. So the statement of the church from Romans is, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. There is a temptation to fall asleep when watching things that seem to happen so gradually and we're at risk of missing the work of God in the gradual phase. But then, uh, you see a person standing perhaps under the same tree, the words, watch out. And not too long ago, I was doing this, uh, clearing our driveway, and I was underneath the tree. I was warm, and so my collar was down and no hat on, and the wind blew. And my head and the back of my neck covered with snow, (laughs) Right? It came suddenly. There was no opportunity to do anything about it. Right? When things happen suddenly, there's no time to react. And we are at risk of being caught unprepared. And this is what we are taught. You brothers and sisters are not in the darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. And he says, this is what it'll be like for people who aren't prepared. It's like a thief coming when you don't expect it. You didn't know this was going to come. And yet it comes suddenly. Jesus said the kingdom, his kingdom, is already here. It's growing gradually, hidden in ordinariness and trouble. And it will come suddenly, completely and irresistibly with judgment or blessing forever. And so Jesus warned. 
He says, you know what? It's really easy to miss the gradual growth. And so often, when we miss the gradual growth, we're at risk of missing his sudden arrival. So when I think about this kingdom of God, that is both gradual and sudden, how are we to live well in this? How do we live well in its gradual growth and be ready for its sudden arrival? I think it's one thing, and we're called to do it all the time, and that is to treasure the kingdom of God, to to give weight, to give value to the kingdom of God every day, even when we live while we're still living well in the kingdom of, of the world. What I mean by that is not that we were in luxury. We're to live well in the days of the gradual growth, seeking the kingdom when it comes urgently. Jesus said, don't set your heart on the things of the world. This is what he said uh, earlier in Luke. He said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Do not set your heart on them. Do not worry about them. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Eating and drinking are a necessary part of life. Our careers are a necessary part of life. The the responsibilities that we have in relationship, these are necessary parts of life. Jesus said, don't set your heart on them. Don't worry about them. And I love the expression, why shouldn't we worry about them? Because he says, you know what? Your father knows you need him. He'll take care of that. Don't set your heart on the things of the world. I want to say it doesn't mean to live foolishly, stop planning, ignore the joys and concerns of the world. He's not saying ignore all of that. He is saying don't let them be the focus of your life. Don't set your heart on these things. Instead, to treasure the kingdom of God is to set your heart on the kingdom of God. So to take the same words, Jesus says, but seek his kingdom. Instead of setting your heart on the things that are part of this current age, even the good things, to seek his kingdom. And so again, it doesn't mean ignore things in this world as you focus on heaven and say, oh, I know there's injustice, but that's okay because heaven is coming. I don't need to worry about retirement because heaven is coming. He doesn't say that. Don't ignore the things in this world as you focus on heaven. It does mean be most concerned about the things that concern God most. Where is his attention? And Jesus is a perfect model. Jesus paid attention to people's physical ailments. He paid attention to the need for food and for rest. He paid attention to family relationships. But they were never his focus. His focus was always on his God and the kingdom that God was building. Some questions that have helped me as others have shared this. How do we know what our heart is set on? And what do we treasure? And so often this is revealed by what are our biggest worries and fears? What causes us to get angry? The angry words that come out, where do those come from? Often that helps us know, this is what I've really set my heart on. Or to answer this question, where do we put most of our disposable time, money, and attention? Right, Disposable meaning these are the things that I can actually choose what to do with it. Where does my time go when my time is my own? Where does my money go when my money is my own? Where does my attention go? This is probably what our heart is set on. And Jesus warned that 
good things in this life took people away from seeking his kingdom. They're good things. They're not bad things. But they took people away from paying attention to his kingdom. Right? So life's necessities and pleasures, food and drink is good, but don't sit your heart on them. Relationships like family and friendship and marriage, these are good, but don't sit your heart on them. Career and possessions, buying and selling and farming, it's good, but don't set your heart on them. People's opinions of us, our visible success, our, our being treated well and justly and fairly, these are good things, but so don't set your heart on them. How do we know what our heart is set on? Well, the real question is, whom do you treasure? And who is your king? So the question, whose opinion of you matters most? To whom do you turn in trouble or pain or grief or loss? To whom do you turn in your joy? Whose guidance or teaching means the most to you? Other answers that we so often give is sometimes, and I confess, this is where I live, even this morning, is ourselves. I better work harder. I better think more. I better really try to dig deep and say, this is how I'm going to make it work. When I'm in trouble, I say I better work harder. And that reveals that human strength is where I put my hope. And it's a sad thing because it's not putting my hope in God, it's putting my hope in me. How foolish. Sometimes we put our hope in someone else, a parent, a spouse, a mentor, because that's the one who's going to take care of us. That's where the real wisdom's going to be. Or we put it in something else, whether success, or money, or philosophy, or politics, the list goes on. And sometimes we put our hope in negative things like anger and bitterness and grief. And we say, this is what's going to help me. Whom do you treasure? Where's your heart set? The call of Jesus is to treasure our new king, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to focus on him, to set our hearts on him, to daily follow him. To do that while the kingdom is growing gradually is to keep going back to him and saying, what is your way? I'm angry. Will you listen to me? And the Psalms provide a wonderful way to say, I take my bitterness, my anger, my fear, my grief to my God in the gradually time of the kingdom so that we will be fully prepared when the kingdom appears suddenly, that we're looking at him when he comes. Jesus warns us that we can so easily have our hearts focused on the things of this life. And when that happens, the danger is that we will miss both the gradual growing of his kingdom and the sudden arrival of the kingdom of God to our great loss. And so Jesus invites everyone to enter his kingdom today through him. And the strategy is not a set of things to do. It's not a way to dig deeper and do better. It's to turn to him. And this is the king that we worship, right? That our hope is this, that God the Father has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, the, the world that will be judged, and brought us into the kingdom of the sunny loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We worship this one who has rescued us, who has brought us into the kingdom of the sunny loves, and one day it will be fully experienced. And so today, we worship and love and follow our king while his kingdom is growing gradually, until the day it appears suddenly and with great joy. I want to provide a minute 
of silence, for reflection. Listen, as God helps us see the places where we put our hope. And to call us to put our hope, to focus on the one who is the king who is coming and will reign with all authority. I'll leave a time of silence and then I'll wrap this up in prayer. Jesus, we give you praise as the Son of God who has come to reign as King. You came to initiate your kingdom, that it is present and it is growing. And we look forward to the day, Jesus, that you return. And suddenly it will be completely and perfectly brought to us. We thank you that you will bring perfect justice that you will bring your goodness. You will bring the ways of heaven to earth and there will be no more crying or pain. There will be no more injustice. And we pray that you would help us not to fall asleep in the gradual growth of your kingdom and that you would help us not to be caught surprised with your arrival. Call our hearts to worship you as our God to go to you daily, to understand your ways, to know you more, to follow you. We long for your coming. And we ask that you would help us to persevere, to stay in prayer and obedience, to have in our hearts what is on your heart, what matters most to you, maybe what matters most to us, until we see you face to face. We give you praise, Jesus, as our Lord, our Savior. Amen.